Well, good morning, Active. How are we feeling this morning? We awake still? You with me? Good. Hey, my name is Joe. I'm part of the team here at Active. And if it's your first time here, first time in a church setting, I'm just glad you're here today. I know it could be a lot to come to church. Like, you know, maybe you had a friend invite you and you're like, church? Like, come on, man. Let's just go get brunch. Like, why are we doing this whole church thing? You know? You know, can I be honest? Like, brunch is like one of the worst things that we do. Like, really, like, come on, you go to brunch at 10 o'clock, you don't get done until 12 o'clock, and then you want to take a nap afterwards. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation for a different day, another summer for a different day. But anyways, but maybe you decide to come here, and then after, you're like, all right, we're going to grab some food afterwards, and then we'll go take our Sunday naps, because Sunday naps are the best, am I right? Right? Sunday naps are the best. And so you're going to take your Sunday nap after. But here, here's my hope for today. Here's what I know. For some people, belief is really easy. Belief in God, having faith. Some people I feel like are just wired for belief. My wife is one of those people. She just wakes up with with an ounce of faith every morning. She doesn't have to worry about like, does God got me? Is God in this situation? Am I going to have a God moment today? Like she's always having these God moments. You see, for me on the other hand, um, I I feel like I'm I'm with a fight uh, with God every single day. Like, I'm not wired for faith, if I'm honest. When I think about God, I have a lot of questions about God. And I've been in ministry for over 10 years now. And even being here on stage right now, I I can tell you I have two parts of me. There's a part of me that is going, how have you given your life to talking about a God and advocating that a God exists? How have you given yourself everything and said that, You just want to share that there's a hope that is beyond belief. And then there's the other side of me that speaks louder, that says there is nothing more true than what you are sharing. There's nothing more full of life than the words you get to speak from the book that has changed the world. So I don't know about you today. I don't know if you resonate with me at all. But today's message is really for those who have somebody who they dearly want to see meet Jesus, but just don't understand why. Why are they in tension? Why are they struggling? Why do they have doubts? Why are they unsure? This whole series really has been that. If you're a follower of Jesus, this has been a really great series because we've talked through questions that maybe you just don't think about because you're wired for faith. You're wired for belief. You feel like you just got the gift of belief, and it's no big deal. And you can't always understand somebody like me or maybe like the people sitting next to you who just don't understand the questions that emerge when we begin to believe in a God. And then maybe you're like me today. Here's what I want you to know is that in this series, we have walked through some really critical questions, and we haven't answered everything perfectly. We haven't answered everything with every question that you can imagine and given you every best answer that we can give, but we have started the conversation, and I believe today, if you are open to reconsidering faith, reconsidering God, reconsidering this whole church thing. I believe that today, if I do an okay job, that you'll be willing to take one more step close to Jesus. So the pressure is on me today. And that's my belief, and that's my hope, and that's been my prayer, is that today, as we go through some of these questions and talk about the reason that we're here, Jesus, 
The reason that we gather every Sunday, his claim that he was the son of God. And we get real critical and understand why we believe what the words that Jesus says. There may be some life that springs forth today. Whether you're new to this, just trying to understand this, or whether you've been following Jesus for a while. So if you're with me on this journey today, and you're just open to reconsidering faith, would you just place your hands out in front of you? And I just want to pray right now, and I just want to pray that God opens us up wherever we're at today. So let's pray together, church. Father God, man, I just, you know, God, you know, you know, you know the tension in our hearts, the tension in my heart. You know the fear that grips us when we think about a life outside of the life that we have now, and maybe even letting go of the things we know we need to let go of. God, with your great mighty presence, with your spirit, may you just remind us that you have so much more for us. May you give us a sense of peace and belonging as you move us into the story that you have for us today. And we all lift this up in your son's, God, in your son's holy name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Question, how do you know what you know about God? How do you know what you know about God? It's a philosophical question. It's a question that makes you think. It's a question that you can't probably answer in this moment, but this question is gonna be our guiding principle. It's gonna be our guiding light for today. You guys ever have one of those really sweet moments and you're just sitting there and then it gets ruined? See, me and my wife, we were having a really sweet moment. I love my wife. We've been married two and a half years now. We're going on three years. It's been fantastic. But there's things that, there's things you still learn about the one you love even two years in. We're having this sweet moment. I'm just sharing about my childhood and about some of the music I listened to when I was uh, a youngin, when I was in middle school. Uh, I used to uh, listen to a lot of pop punk music. Anybody? Pop punk music? No? We got a bunch of ballad people here. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I understand. I don't know if this, how this conversation is going to go, but we're going to try it anyways, all right? So I listened to a bunch of pop, pop punk music. I love Blink-182. You guys know Blink-182? I loved it. I loved it. And I'm telling her, and I'm showing her songs, and I'm telling her how there's this guy named Travis Barker, all right? Travis Barker. Some of you may know who Travis Barker is. He is an icon when it comes to the drumming world. In the modern age, he is one of the greatest drummers of all time. You'll never find a, a, a drummer more decorated than Travis Barker, more in tune with Tra than Travis Barker, more uh, musically gifted than Travis Barker. And so I'm just pouring it out to my wife. I'm like, you know, hon, if you want to know me, if you want to know all of me, you're going to need to go back all the way to middle school days, the emo middle school boy, you know. I, I, had, I wanted the long hair. I couldn't have the long hair because my dad didn't let me. But anyways, I wanted the long hair. Mentally, I had the long hair. Mentally, I was like here, you know, like just sad all the time. But that, that was me at that time. And so I'm telling her all of this, and I'm telling her about how I love Travis Barker because in all the music videos, um, don't judge me, uh, he always got the girl at the end of it. And I'm like, that was so cool for being in middle school. And I'm like, I loved it. I wanted to be Travis Barker. And like, he was the coolest guy. I wanted to learn how to play drums. And so when people play drums up here, um, I get a little bitter because I didn't do that. But anyways, so I'm telling my wife this thing. And then she's like, Travis Barker, Travis Barker. Oh, I know who Travis Barker is. I'm like, yes, you understand me. Yes, you know the, the, the drummer, the musician, Travis Barker, who was just so influential to my life. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, he's the guy that married that Kardashian. <laughs> so we're really here to pray for Diana. That's what we're here. You know him for the wrong things. 
He's not the Kardashian. You know what he is? He's the drummer. You know him for the wrong things. Is it possible we know God for the wrong things? I know I, know I knew God for the wrong things. I didn't grow up in this. Still, sometimes I'm like sitting there and like, this is insane. We're doing karaoke and everybody's into it. This is insane. We're raising our hands and I believe God is moving in me. This is insane. But the God I knew was the God of no, the God of shame, the God that says perform, the God that says you're not meeting your own expectations, which makes you think you're going to meet my expectations. That's the God I knew, and maybe today you came with a perception and understanding of God that you got from a podcast, that you heard from TikTok, that you've been talking to your friends late at night, sitting around a campfire. Maybe you guys were just talking about God, and that's where you got your understanding of God from. Maybe your parents instilled a value of God or an anti-value of God in you, and today you brought that in with you today. Hey, that's real. We all have come with baggage and an understanding of God. And today, our hope is to really get to the core of what that belief is. And is it, is it what Jesus believed about God? Because I I really believe that sometimes we can have all the faith in the world and all the belief in the world, but sometimes it will not line up with the things that Jesus believed. And this is so important because how we act, how we respond, and how we expect this world to respond, and how we live out our day-to-day life is often influenced by our understanding and our definition of what a divine figure is, what a God looks like in our life. And so many of us in here, maybe you've grown up with faith, and you've just always have known God, and you've always had a belief and a perception of God. You're like, yeah, how did I know what I know about God? I read the Bible. I know the ins and outs of the Bible. The question we have to ask ourselves regularly, is this what politics has given us? Is this what somebody has told me? Or is this the actual words of a Jesus who is alive? Because I don't know about you, but I never want to present a Jesus that I've created or a God that I've created. If we're talking about the God of the universe, a creator that was uncreated, should we not get his nature right? His understanding of who he is and what he does, should we not get it right? You see, the church is meant to be proof that God exists. Yet I believe that many people are in the state of unbelief because oftentimes the church and the people of God have created a God that they've wanted to believe in rather than Jesus held tight to. And so today, we're gonna walk through the question, how do you know what you know about God? And I believe a perfect place to begin is with the words of Jesus. You see, many people across this world, they have a belief in Jesus's historicity The fact that Jesus was a living, breathing man, that he walked on this earth, that he taught lessons. But maybe they don't believe that he is what he said he is, that is the son of God. If you are open to reconsidering faith today, I believe Jesus is a good launching point. And you may be thinking to yourself, I've already tried. 
I tried giving my life to Jesus. I've tried doing this whole God thing. I've tried doing this whole church thing. It just didn't work out. The people weren't right. I showed up. God never showed up. You know, we sang that song about the tomb. You know, move that rock. Like, go move that stone, right? Whatever James said, right? Go move that rock. Like, and you're just like, I, the rock is still there. I've tried this whole God thing. Well, here, here I'm going to give you three reasons, all right? Three reasons you should, we, we, not me, not just you, but we, including myself, should Consider Jesus as a good launching point for understanding God. The first reason, his teachings. His teachings. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible that Jesus taught for about three years of his life. It's about three years, age 30, 33. And in that three years, we only have about a handful of sermons, a handful of messages, teachings that we study. But what's also really fascinating is that the teachings of Jesus have been the most studied topic in all of human history. Here we are 2,000 years later, hearing the words and teachings of Jesus. And some would say that Jesus considering the social opportunity that was afforded to a man who was born from a no-name town, Bethlehem, meaning that people did not know or validate or even uphold what Bethlehem was. Uh, the fact that Jesus came from this no-name town and was born under suspicious circumstances, one would have to imagine Jesus had to go out of his way a little bit in order to get his message out there. Would you agree with that? No-name town, under suspicious circumstances. It was only almost publicly fatherless because of the uh, circumstances of his birth. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, still hearing the words of Jesus, feeling the influence of Jesus. Jesus was not born to an aristocratic family. He was not born to the religious elite. Jesus was not born to somebody who was noteworthy or uh, 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 notable. He was not meant to be just a public figure. No, he was born to nothing, yet we still have his teachings. I would imagine that anybody born in this social station, his teachings would be squashed and nullified. Yet we have his teachings 2,000 years later. And here's the thing. You know somebody is like, you know you're influential when people are quoting you and they're not giving you credit. You ever get into your friend's car and they're playing a song that you showed them? They're like, yeah, I found this song. It's like, yo, homie, I showed you that song. Don't be playing around. You see, Jesus' teachings are the exact same way. They have formed government structures. They inform ethics and philosophy to this day. They have have a seat at the table when it comes to us understanding our value system. It has changed the way that we view the people around us, whether we know them or not. I would even say they are, they are the words that we teach children. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others how you want to be treated. These are the words of Jesus. His teachings, I would even say, were transcendent. And you may not have a belief in Jesus, but there is something about his teachings that have changed everything that we know in the Western world. His teachings transformed what we have. And I would even say they transformed time and space. The second reason. His track record was flawless. You guys like Facebook memories? I don't. I hate it. 
It's like I look at it and I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, I look like that? When? How? Or you see something and it's like super cringy. It's like, oh, man. It's interesting that we talk about track record because it feels like we're in a day and age right now where everybody's track record is under scrutiny because the internet never forgets. Jesus has a track record that was flawless. 2,000 years of history and still historians will struggle, struggle to tell you that Jesus was not a good man that Jesus was not full of integrity and character. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor at the time, over Judea, whose main job was to make sure that Rome looked good and the, gover- and the emperor looked great. His main job was to make sure things were calm and good. A mob comes to him, and as the mob comes to him, they're bringing Jesus in tow. On this day, he has an opportunity. He gets to release one prisoner. He can release either Jesus or an insurrectionist, known convicted murderer named Barabbas. What Pontius Pilate does is amazing. He comes out and says, I see no fault in this man, Jesus. Why do you want me to crucify him? Why do you want me to kill this man who I have found no faults in whatsoever? Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you and let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. You can't even get your stories right. Many falsely testified against him. Yet their stories were always confused and complicated to the point where nobody believed it's there is something about this Jesus, something about his integrity and character that has created such a sense of an improbability and impossibility that he did nothing wrong. Still, Barabbas and Jesus there. Pilate is, you want Barabbas. You don't want Jesus, who I can find no fault in. You want Barabbas, the known insurrectionist. Pilate could find no fault, and history has been able to find no fault in Jesus' character and integrity. His teachings were timeless. His track record was flawless. And the last reason I want to give is something that I think you knew where I was going, church. His tomb was empty. See, you're not sure to clap. I get it. I get it. Um, Why I get it is because there's a lot of questions around that. And I don't want to preach this. I want you to hear this. Women were the first people to see Jesus at his tomb. If the disciples, if the early gospel writers were lying, women would not be the first people to see Jesus. They did not have clout. That's just how it was in the ancient day. They did not have clout. Roman guards were put in front of the tomb. So this story did not spread that a body was stolen and then a a big religion was birthed. The Roman guards had way too much to lose. The Jew, early Jewish religious figures were trying to explain why the body wasn't there. They didn't necessarily understand Jesus as divine, but they were trying to explain in their early writings and their early arguments and some of the early things that they did in order to get the word out. And yet they could not squash this because they knew that there was no body and they had to understand it. They had to get the people to understand why there was no body, yet no argument they could come up with actually made any sense. I need you to hear this. Even historians struggle to say, 
that the tomb was a lie. Today, here we are 2,000 years ago, and we forget that the early ancient people were not dumb. They were different, but they were not dumb. And they believed in Jesus up until his death, and then Jesus died, and then they stopped believing. And then the tomb was empty, and they saw him walking around. And once they saw him walking around, they started to believe again. They didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They believed in something they saw. They saw the tomb was empty. They saw that there was no body. They saw Jesus walking around. And I'm just opening it up to consideration today. If you are there and trying to figure out who Jesus is, his teachings his track record, and the fact that we cannot explain why his tomb was empty is enough reason for us to go, okay, Jesus, what do you say about God? What do you got to tell me today? Because I've been trying to figure this out for a while, and I still don't understand it all. So what did he say then? What, what did Jesus say, who was claiming to be the son of God? What were some of his words that he said? First thing he said, he said, God is spirit. God is spirit. There's a moment where Jesus is sitting at a well and the woman comes up and he's tired. She's showing up at an inconspicuous time of day because she doesn't want to be around people. That's a whole nother sermon for a different day. But she doesn't want to be around people. So she comes, she sees Jesus. She's a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans had an offshoot of the Jewish faith. They had a belief in God, but they didn't worship in the same place the Jews worshiped. And see, Jesus was a Jew. He was Jewish. He worshiped in Jerusalem like many people did. Jerusalem was the center of worship. For the Samaritans, it was on a mountaintop. And so this woman comes and she begins, to, she begins to debate with Jesus about where the right place to worship is. And as they're debating back and forth, Jesus is listening to her and then he talks to her. And then he says this to her, John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. God is spaceless. He is timeless. He is immaterial. Can we take a moment to wrap our brains around that? That God is beyond our comprehension. And he is telling this woman that you are so wrapped up in where to worship, where to go and put your hands in, where to go and put your tithe, where and go to love God. But what he is saying is God is so much bigger than you thought. He is massive. We are saying that life burst from God's essence. We are saying creation all of itself was stemmed from God. And now you may have a belief that God maybe set it into motion and just kind of let it be. I'm going to get to you in just a moment. But Jesus is saying God is spirit. He is bigger than you thought. And everybody had a perception of God during that time. Samaritans had a perception of God. The Roman people had a perception of God. The Greek people had a perception of God. They believed in statues and idols. And they held to things like Juno and Neptune. And they held on to these beliefs that if they just knew that God and knew everything about the God and they took their beliefs about God and they put it in a statue and they prayed to that statue and, and they, they, they worshiped that statue, what would happen is that God would notice them. It was their way of capturing all of this, all the divine, all of up here and putting it in a face. But what Jesus is saying is God is spirit. He is faceless and timeless and immaterial. 
And isn't it crazy? That's kind of what we all believe already. Like God is faceless, God is timeless, God is immaterial, God is bigger than our comprehension. Yeah, I imagine if many of us were there with Jesus, the directive would be God is spirit. Do you know what that means? He would say God is bigger than the rules and the regulations that you've put on God. That you cannot put the infinite God under the reason of man perfectly. Can you understand him? Yes, and we're going to get to that. However, we're talking about God here. And if, if there is a God who set this all into motion, if there is a God who light bursts forth, colors streamed from, what do we do with him? And I imagine many of us have walked away because we haven't had a proper placement of who God is. God hasn't been spirit. God has been something to manage and manhandle. You've put God in a box. I know I did. I remember going into college my first couple years, and um, I had some stellar professors. And I would come to them with questions and doubts and disbelief and uncertainty. Um, and here's the thing. I had my God box. We all got a God box. We all got a perception of God. And I put everything I know about God in that box. And if it doesn't fit my God box, I have two options. Maybe there's a doubt or a question or a concern, something that's just not lining up in my mind mentally. And I'm like, okay, do I, do I put it, do I force it in my God box? Do I throw it away or do I throw away my God box? Oftentimes we throw away our God box when things don't make sense. Maybe you've seen a lot of people do it. Maybe you've been one of those people who have done it. Just been like, you know, what? I'm just trying to wrap my mind around how, how science and God can really exist. You know what? Later, God. Or you've done the opposite. Later, science. Jesus' reminder is that God is bigger. Something my professor told me when I brought him all these questions. He's like, maybe you just think too little of God. Maybe God's bigger than you thought. And I think that's a reminder for all of us today. Is that God is bigger than we thought. God is bigger than your box. And if God is bigger than we thought, bigger than our box, God is spirit. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's created all of this time and space, knock around within the essence of who God is. But what's the deal with that? What do I do with that? That's so abstract, right? It's like spirit fingers. Like, come on, spirit. Like, I'm so mystical and mysterious. That's why Jesus didn't stop there. He said, God is Father. God is Father. There's one day where Jesus and his disciples are getting together and they're praying, and, and the disciples don't feel like they're doing it right. Do you ever feel like you're praying and you're just like, I'm just not, I'm just not doing it right? Like, when Jesus prays, stuff happens, and when I pray, it's kind of like, I hope people aren't listening to me right now. Like, that, maybe you've felt like that before. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, okay, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus says to them. Luke chapter 11, verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Say it with me, church. When you pray, say, Father. 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 Dad, here's what's so great. As Jesus said, the God who is spirit, the God who is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, the best way for you to wrap your mind around who God is, the best way for you to understand what God wants to do in your life and for your life and be around your life, the best way that you can understand the relationship God wants to have with the people that he has created is Father. 
Man, what, what a word. What a word to understand a God who is immaterial, spaceless, and timeless, what he wants to do and be. What Jesus is saying is God is personal and he listens. How about that? But here's what I know. For some of us, talking about God as Father is easy. It's easy as belief. Yeah, that's great. I know God as Father. I know he's with me. I know he loves me. I know he listens to me. I know I can talk to him. I know I can pray to him. But for others of us, including myself, when I say the word Father, there's a whole lot of beliefs that come up about what a father is. Maybe you think about the dad who, when he got angry, he left. Maybe you think about the dad who you had to hide stuff from, you had to perform for, and maybe you're not even thinking about it. You're like, well, I don't connect the two. I don't connect the two. Really? Does your prayer life say different? Because my prayer life does. See, I've been following Jesus now for 13 years, and I can tell you that I, can, I know. I've separated the two. I'm like, all right, I got my, got my earthly father, I got my, my dad, and then I got my heavenly father, who is the perfect, perfect image of father. Yet, when I go into my prayers, when I go into talking to my father, when I say the word father, sometimes I'll be like, God, thank you for such a great day. Amen. And I know God's looking at me like, bro, you had two mental breakdowns today. Like, you're, you're struggling. You're not okay. What are you hiding? Jesus says to call God Father because we are his children. A couple weeks ago, I went on a trip with a couple friends, and when we came back from that trip, I love it. My, my friends, they're, they're dads, and they're really good dads. We walk into the door just to say hello, and the second we walk into the door, I heard his kids run from the room. Dad, you're home. And then they begin to tell him about their week because their dad wasn't there for three days. It was like, dad, you would not believe it. All right, this is what we did with the cat and this is what we did to the cat and this is the games that we played and we played Switch and you wouldn't understand. I, I, I beat him so bad, dad. And literally my buddy, all he did was just stand there and listen and smile because he knew already. He knew how crazy the weekend was. He heard it from his wife. He knew everything that had happened already. He said, I can't wait to hear about it. And if we have we have good dads here at this church. Dads who always tell their kids, I can't wait to hear about it. And if that offers a portrait of the God we get to know that Jesus knew, then that's the kind of God I want to talk to. A father who says, hey, I know, I know you're lying, but I, I'm here to listen when you're ready. I, I know you're struggling right now. I'm here to, I'm here to listen when you're ready. Hey, I can't wait to hear about it. I know you're going through it right now. I can't wait to hear about it. We have a God who listens and is personal. The words of Jesus showed this. The life of Jesus showed this. God is spirit. He is everywhere. He is father. He is close and personal, but that's not where it ends. Jesus said, God is love. Let me backtrack a little bit, actually. Jesus didn't say those words. John said those words. See, John was an early disciple, student, follower of Jesus, somebody who wrote down all the things that Jesus said. We've actually heard from some of his uh, uh, word today. We've already heard some of the things that he wrote down because he traveled with Jesus. Then after a many years of Jesus leaving, he decided to write it all down and spread it all across the Mediterranean world. He's like, I'm gonna get this out. I gotta get this story out, that there's a God, who, a man who claimed he was God, and then he did things that he said only God can do, and 
And now we're here beginning this movement called the church. So John was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. But John saw incredible violence. Of the 12 disciples who'd followed Jesus, he was the only one who lived to an old age. Because his other 11 friends had died. They were murdered, executed, beaten by the religious elite, murdered by the mobs. And here's John in his old age, encouraging and writing the church, even though he has seen such incredible acts of violence as the church began to rise from nothingness. Not because they had faith in something, but because they saw something. And so here's John writing, and this is what John says. It it blows my mind. And here's the thing about what I'm about to read that John said. It seems so cliche. And I've recently heard a lot of people say, like, you know, God is a lot of other things than this. I've seen it on Instagram bios and hydro flask stickers, and I've seen it on uh, uh, people's bumper uh, uh, bumper stickers, and I've seen it on their, their, what's that, the, the back of their cars. I've seen it everywhere. But I think what John is about to say is so cliche that you're going to be like, no, duh. But I need you to hear it how John says it. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. And that can seem so cliche. Okay, what, what does that mean? What does that do? What about the other things of God? Who am I to say something is cliche? When John endured so much violence that at the end of his life as he's writing letters to churches to encourage them and inspire them to keep moving towards the God that they personally knew, John would say, I've seen it all. I've seen loss. I've seen death. I've seen exclusion. I've seen this thing at its worst. And I'm going to announce still that God is love. God is love becomes cliche when we're not living it as a reality. When it becomes a good idea rather than the very words of Jesus. Because maybe John is saying this because he heard Jesus say these words. Maybe he's saying this because he's thinking about the life that Jesus lived. Maybe John is saying God is love because he remembers that moment when Jesus was sitting at that well with the woman who had a different theological perspective, the woman at the well who was arguing with him. And Jesus was just so compassionate. And he listened And his arms were open for her, even though she was from a totally different background as him. And he just listened to her. Maybe that's when he realized God was love. Or or maybe it's, it's when Jesus was silent. When Barabbas took his innocence. And Jesus let him go. Maybe John said God is love. Because he remembered the words of Jesus during one of the last meals that Jesus had with his friends. And some of the words that he spoke over them in John 13, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you are my friends, 
that you have relationship with me if you love one another. Maybe he remembered. The words of Jesus that have echoed throughout all of history. That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe John knew God is love because he looked at Jesus and said, this man is in spaces and places that I don't want to be like, that I don't want to be in, that I don't want to be around. When he asked the questions, when you and I asked the questions, what is God like and how does God act and what does God know? John says, look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look at the way he loved. Look at the way that he showed up. Look at who he spent time with and how he confronted the exclusive people who wanted to keep God at a distance. Look at how he dealt with drug dealers and prostitutes. Look at how he dealt with shame and dishonor. Look at how he spent time with people who wanted nothing to do with God. Look at how he sat with them and ate with them and didn't expect them to be somewhere. He sat with them and ate with them and showed incredible amounts of compassion to them. Maybe that is why John says, God, God is love. How do we know what we know about God? Maybe we know about God or can begin again the journey of following God when we look at Jesus. What Jesus' life proves is that love brings dead things back to life whether you're walking through shame or guilt or uncertainty or doubt or despair, or you don't even know why you're in a church building, but you just know you need something outside of you, God wants to draw close. The God of the universe who is spaceless and timeless wants to be close and wants to listen and wants to show you he cares. That's the God we know. That's the God we share. And that's the God that proves to this world that God exists. It's when we live in this rhythm and live in these values, we see this world change and transform. We've seen that here at Active. Over a thousand people have given their life to Jesus in the past seven years. Like, that's, that's a movement of God, people. Many people who would never consider faith again have walked through these doors and said, I, I don't get it. I don't know it. I don't understand it. My life's a mess. I'm here for it, though. That's God. And that's not God working through just Pastor Mike or the team on stage or the worship band or us just singing. That's God working through you because you've created space for God to be bigger than you thought, for God to be closer than people can imagine, and God to show the care that he does through his love. So today, as we finish our time here, I want to encourage you to, to think about something. What would it look like for you to reconsider God today? Reconsider his love, reconsidering how big he is, and reconsidering that he wants to be your father. You see, I, I really apologize if you've never experienced this God. And if you experience a, 
a false version of God, a version of God that has been perpetuated by ideologies that aren't a part of Jesus. And if you're open to it today, I just want to pray some words over you and encourage you. Actually, I want to pray some words over all of us. So if you feel comfortable, would, would you all stand with me right now? And I just want to share some words as a benediction as we close. And then I want to ask you to repeat these words with me. So first, would you, would you just hear these words and let them soak over you? God is with you. He's never left you. He hasn't forgotten you. And he still has you. God is with you. He's never left you. He hasn't forgotten you. And he still has you. Now, would you repeat it with me? But let's make it real personal. God is with me. He has never left me. He hasn't forgotten me. He still has me. Let's say it together, church. God has never left me. He hasn't forgotten me. And he still has me. Father God, isn't it so sweet? I get to call you Father. Because you see me and you know me and you love me in spite of the fact that you know all of me. For anybody wrestling with doubt or despair, may they know that in your son Jesus there is a way. May anybody wrestling with shame and guilt know that freedom and forgiveness are just a word away. And that word is Father. For anybody here who's trying to reconsider you, may you give them an ounce of courage to take that step in calling on your name. Father, we open up our arms to you and say thank you for your love. Thank you for seeing us. And thank you for drawing close. And we all lift up in your son's holy name and all God's people said, amen.